We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash lawless. Just go to Indeed.com slash lawless right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed com slash lawless terms and conditions apply need to hire you need indeed hello sunshine i'm alexi lawless and welcome to the state of the union podcast where we look at the beautiful game on and off the field through the lens of red white and blue colored glasses this show will be talking ooh u.s open cup drama under pressure documentary club world cup crap soccer the hall of fame qatar one year on and so much more but first joining me as always my friend my colleague my guiding light david mossy a soccer savant and a fox soccer researcher and writer extraordinaire mossy how you doing on this monday december 18th in the year 2023 and you come to us from the great state of florida yes yes i'm doing well i come to you from fort lauderdale i'm here with my parents i arrived on friday a couple of days of lousy weather to begin with but now the weather has turned so as soon as i'm done taping this pod with you i will be off to the beach for the first time yeah, so what does the Mossy clan do on a, uh, I, I guess, a break down there in the uh, su- the sun of, uh, of Florida? You go to the beach, obviously. Now, are you a sunbather? You, do you frolic? Do you play paddleboard? Do you go into the uh, water? All of the above? All of the above. I frolic with the best of them. <laughs> do you get tan? Uh, I do get tan, yes. Lucky bastard. God. Ah, oh, if I only could. Um uh, anything else? Because I know you're uh, usually, you know, head off to different shows or museums and stuff like that. Or are you just going to lay low this break? Uh, we're thinking of checking out a Miami Heat game. They play the Sixers on mm. Monday. So that's a possibility. Um, other than that, uh, lots of good shopping malls here where my mother likes to go. So it'll be that sort of stuff. Have you uh, watched anything interesting? Uh, all I've watched the last few days is I've banged out uh, some episodes of The Crown. They mm. released the final batch of episodes. So I've watched... Uh, some of those. Now, you gave me a homework assignment for this pod to watch the U.S. women's documentary, and I have not watched one second of it, so I'm afraid I let you down. <laughs> I mean, that's not a comment on the women's team uh, or this documentary. It's just you got a lot of stuff going on. By the way, I will say, my wife's going to kill me. She she walked into my office last night, tears streaming down her face because of the finale of uh, of The Crown. Uh, you know, they had gone into, uh, I guess, planning the um, the funerals of uh, Queen Elizabeth and that kind of stuff. Or I, I can't remember what it was, but whatever it was, it got to her in terms of the uh, the melancholy uh, that was going on there. So, she, you know, a ringing endorsement for my wife if tears are a ringing endorsement. Yeah, you mentioned Under Pressure, the Netflix documentary that came out, four-part uh, documentary about the women's team. And while you didn't do your homework, it's okay. Uh, I'll be honest with you, you're not missing anything, especially someone like you that was knee-deep in it over there and saw it firsthand. And for those that don't know this documented uh, the lead-up and then obviously the summer that was the failure of the U.S. Women's National Team at the World Cup in uh, New Zealand and Australia. It's, it's, so, it's really interesting to see, obviously, from our perspective being down there and, I guess, being involved in this production. So everybody recognizes that, you know, when you're doing a documentary, you go out with an intention to do something and to tell a story. But any documentarian will tell you that you have to bob and weave. And there are a lot of ups and downs and twists and turns along the way. So much so that sometimes you almost have to completely change course. And obviously, when this didn't end up being what on paper was going to be this um, exaltation and uh, ultimate celebration of three in a row from the U.S. Women's National Team. And not only that, it went completely the opposite direction. They had to, as they say, pivot. And part of that 
meant coming to us as Fox and coming to our production. And so yours truly and uh, and Carly Lord in particular are all over this, as is our set down there, Rob Stone, everybody involved. And I'll tell you what, Mossy, um, for not, uh, you know, us being involved, this would have been a very boring and uh, ultimately unappetizing type of document, uh, uh, a documentarian type of uh, situation here. But we made it. We made it watchable because in doing so, they had, especially when it comes to Carly, you know, a foil. They had somebody that they could put in kind of a, not a villain capacity, but somebody to provide the, you know, the, uh, the backdrop of, hey, this is not going well. And, you know, Carly, everybody knows that watched this summer, was, you know, very open and honest about her critique and assessment of this team. And that comes to light in this uh, in this documentary. I thought that was the most uh, interesting thing. It was also interesting in that you got to have participation with everybody and not everybody was involved. I think ultimately I'm left with, you know, the I guess the sad realization, or maybe it's not so sad when you really look at it, is that they just they just weren't good enough. And we can, uh, you know, assign blame as to whose fault that was, but really that's what this team uh, was about. It is an interesting peek into some of the personalities and some of the stuff that was going on, but there's a lot of other layers out there that at times you're left saying, hey, I, I, w- I want more. You know, Alex Morgan talking just on the s- surface level about, Vladko and responsibility and all that kind of stuff. Obviously, Megan Rapino, she is in, in, involved in it, and uh, you know has you know as Megan does oftentimes you know has uh, has quotes um, that are that are interesting and provocative. That's kind of what she, uh, what she does, and so there is there is that. So I'm not saying it's it's two it's two thumbs down, especially for soccer people that are listening and watching out there, but. I don't think we necessarily learned anything uh, anything new. Have I sold it enough where you're actually going to run out and watch it, Moss? <laughs> I will watch it eventually now that I know that you and Carly Lloyd are prominently featured. Yes, we uh, we are. So it was, you know, it was uh, it was fun. Uh, listen, should we light this candle, my friend? Let's do it. All right, where do you want to start? <laughs> uh, big story in American soccer the past few days. This news came down on Friday. Everybody's been reacting to it since then. MLS owners have voted not to use their first-team squads in the 2024 edition of the U.S. Open Cup. Instead, they will field their reserve sides. The main reason given was fixture congestion, particularly given the advent of the League's Cup. We know Don Garber is not a big fan of the Open Cup. He's made that clear with his comments over the past year. You won the Open Cup with the Galaxy back in 2001. I'm sure you have thoughts on this situation. I definitely have thoughts on this situation, and it is so uh, uniquely but typically American soccer that it, it, it's there's a comfort level to it because I, I come to expect this type of stuff, but there's also a shaking of the head. Um, all right, so when it comes to the U.S. Open Cup, as you mentioned, I have a long history with the U.S. Open Cup. I have won it as a player. I have participated. Uh, I have watched it and followed it over the years. And for those that don't know, it is, um, you know, a century-old tournament. So for those that argue that the United States doesn't have history when it comes to soccer, that's not necessarily true. And here is a specific instance where there is incredible history on and off the field as to what this tournament is and what it has meant over the years. As you mentioned, in 2001, I won it with the uh, Los Angeles Galaxy. As a matter of fact, I brought the trophy into our studio today, Mossy. I know you're uh, over there in Florida, so you don't get to touch it and see it and feel it. But it is here in the studio with us today. And there's a story behind that. And then I'll get to the, this, <laughs> this interesting issue. Um, this is the 2001 Lamar Hunt U.S. Open Cup trophy. It has resided in the lawless households over the years in the different houses that I have lived for now, you know, over 20 years because uh, this, and for those that are watching, you will see some pictures coming up. This is us winning it back then. There's the great Kobe Jones and it goes on and on. Kevin Hartman and goal and uh, the late great Ziggy Schmidt leading us on the day of that final. There's Greg Vanny and Ezra Hendrickson, uh, Ezra Hendrickson um, holding up this trophy on the day of that final. The actual trophy did not make it in on the plane to be awarded. And so they actually had to go out and buy a different trophy. 
So in all of the pictures, including the ones that, are, for those that are watching or they're seeing right now, you are seeing this trophy that was bought right before the final because the other one had not arrived. And this is what we passed around. This is the pictures that we took. After that game, I was left holding this trophy, at which point I got in my car, drove home, put it in my bedroom, and that's where it's been for 20 years. It has had flowers in it at times. Uh, there are parties, some very, very famous MLS parties in, in the years past where a who's who of American soccer was there that have seen it and you know, either commented on or, or uh, scratched their head as to what that is. But all of this is to say is that the U.S. Open Cup is near and dear to me. Having said that, this is the U.S. Open Cup, all right? There's that, there's that meme out there, Mossy. I know you're a big uh, movie fan. That, uh, Superbad was a movie that came out years ago. So, so funny. But there's that meme out there where uh, the, the characters are saying, um, calm down, Greg. It's soccer. It's soccer. And so as this played out over the last couple of days, I kept going back to that meme where, look, what, that's actually, de- you know, that's something that soccer people would take personally, right? It's funny as hell, but it, because it's rooted in truth. Soccer is not king in the United States. And a lot of people just think, well, it's just soccer. To us, it's near and dear. And we are romantic and protective of it, okay? But the reality is that we are few relative to other sports and to other leagues. And so I, I was left thinking about this, <laughs> this, this meme. Because when you look at the Open Cup, um, there are devoted U.S. Open Cup fans, as I mentioned, passionate ones. Uh, you're looking and listening to one right now. But the reality is we are, we are few, and it's been amazing to see how people have glommed on to this and, you know, um, captured this and now have made it their own. I'm talking about the Open Cup relative to this decision by Major League Soccer not to participate in upcoming Open Cups. So a couple of things also, Mossy. Uh, X over there, we now call it X, what was Twitter, Twitter. I know my mom doesn't like that, but just for those that haven't kept up, X is just a sliver uh, of the voices out there. And while it can be incredibly loud, it can, be, uh, it can make you think that it is a, a focus group as opposed to an echo chamber over there. And a lot of people raising their voices. Um, as I mentioned, the devoted fans are few. Uh, when it comes to MLS, this decision, make, you know, make, you know, make no bones about it. This is a business decision. And MLS, as I've said time and time again, their responsibility is to Major League Soccer and to the business of Major League Soccer. It is not to soccer in general, all right? That is the responsibility of U.S. soccer. Also keep in mind, there's all sorts of layers to this, including Soccer United Marketing, which was once uh, a partner of U.S. soccer that, they, that U.S. soccer divested themselves of, and so hell hath no fury like a scorned Soccer United Marketing. Um, this also should be looked at from the other way, from USL uh, in participation, because this actually opens up, if MLS Division I teams are not participating, this opens up an opportunity for USL teams to have an easier pathway to CONCACAF Champions Cup, because as it stands right now, the winner of the Lamar Hunt Open Cup gets an automatic bid into CONCACAF Champions uh, uh, Club. Uh, what is it called? We called CONCACAF Champions. We used to be called CONCACAF Champions League. What is it now, Mossy? Con- CONCACAF Champions Cup, Cup right? Yeah, CONCACAF Champions Cup. You get an automatic bid uh, into that. So that's that's going to be interesting how that all shapes up. And then uh, the last part of it, and it's a, it's a general part, uh, and I've said it before, U.S. soccer, you know, we eat our own. And, the, and while people are screaming and yelling about this, this is what's going to happen. This is end up going to be just more litigation and more lawyers uh, and more of this BS that we see in our game too often. And maybe that's what MLS wants. And MLS, make no mistake again, is the big dog here. And they are, you know, they are showing their power by this move. 
And keep in mind that United States Soccer Federation, as pissed off as they might be about this, and evidently they were blindsided by this, they still need Major League Soccer and that power that is Major League Soccer going forward. But this also is a moment where, you know, the power dynamic is going to be tested. And JT Batson over there, the head of U.S. Soccer, uh, this is going to really demand some sort of action or accountability from United States soccer because of the way that MLS has, has done this, I guess, to this, uh, to this league. And keep in mind that, you know, the, um, you know, MLS, I'm sure thought about this. There's some smart people over there. They have that Boston consulting group that they always reference and talk about when it comes to the numbers out there. And so they will have, you know, looked at this as to how and why should we do this? They're going to say that it's about MLS Next Pro now participating in Open Cup and giving them the opportunity and giving them the experience. They're going to say it's about the amount of games that their players play, and I I get all that. But the reality is that if um, if this tournament was an MLS property, I think the uh, reaction to this, and I think the... Um, the decision would be very, very different. And we all know it's not an MLS property. So we'll ultimately see how this plays out. But I'll finish with this, Mossy. These soccer wars that we have and the fact that we continue to eat our own, if I'm MLS right now looking for big, bold things to do, and the announcements from the board of directors this past week were inconsequential on the surface, and let's be honest, not the big, bold things that people kind of want MLS to do leading up to 2026. Instead of having all these wars, let's consolidate. Let's have MLS look at USL as something to acquire. I would love nothing more than for Major League Soccer to buy USL, lock, stock, and barrel, and have it all come under the MLS tent, if you will. will. And you can have promotion relegation in it. You can have all of these different leagues. But the infighting and those soccer wars go away to a certain extent. I know they don't completely go away, but I would love for that to happen going forward uh, and going forward into 2026. That's the big, bold types of things that I want to see people doing leading up to 2026. I don't want them fighting. I don't want them in court. I don't want them saber rattling. I don't want them strutting around and wielding this type of power that hurts others, that ultimately can hurt the game. And we've wasted too much time and too many resources doing something like that. Mossy, thoughts? So you did have thoughts on this. I did. I, I, it, it, it riled me up this weekend because I, I am, I'm a romantic, Mossy, I know, I, and I can look at it from a romantic side. But as you know, and for anybody that's listened or watched me over the years, you know I'm also uh, a staunch capitalist, and I believe in businesses doing what is right for their business. And again, the United States Soccer Federation's responsibility is to soccer. MLS's responsibility is to MLS. It doesn't mean that they don't do things to help soccer. But participating in the U.S. Open Cup cannot just be out of a sense of responsibility cannot just be an altruistic charitable type of venture for MLS or for anybody out there. And let's be honest. All right. It doesn't make money and not enough people care about it. And that was me poking fun at how long you spoke for. And then you proceeded to launch into another lengthy rant. I'm riled up. Uh, I'm riled up. You've, uh, you've coined the term taking one for the team. Uh, nobody's going to claim that the Premier League doesn't care about money, but their clubs play in the FA Cup. Barcelona and Real Madrid play in the Copa del Rey. Bayern Munich plays in the German Cup, even though that means sometimes facing lower division teams and tiny stadiums and terrible fields. Does it bother you that MLS isn't willing to, quote unquote, take one for the team? Yeah, I mean, again, it's, it's, I don't think it's MLS's responsibility necessarily to take one for the team. Now, if they are killing, kill, if in doing so, they are killing the golden goose, and that let's say that golden goose is soccer in America. And we all know that there's incredible potential and existing power and value in soccer in America. If in this decision, they are either killing or maiming the golden goose, 
then that's a problem for them. And so again, uh, you know, if, if participating in it in terms of the games that they play, the competition that they play, the time that is spent, and the lack of value in return is a problem, then I don't know why they would want to continue to do it. Other than the contractual obligation that they have in terms of the, um, the pro standards that are required when it comes to, uh, when it comes to division one, division two, all of those different things. I should probably read those, uh, read those out, Mossy. Thoughts before I, while I pull this up here. Uh, shouldn't individual clubs be able to decide for themselves? What if there's an MLS team whose season unfolds in such a way where they think, the Open Cup is our best shot at a trophy in a CCL berth, and we do want to, quote-unquote, go for it. Are they not going to be allowed to do so? Isn't it odd to have an overall decree like this? No, it's not odd in a single entity, in a league that has prided itself on doing things collectively since the start. So I, don't, I think they wanted to have a united front. And listen, there are all sorts of levels to this, and the, uh, you know, the partnerships and the longstanding history and the relationships between U.S. soccer and MLS that still exist. I mean, hell, I was just down in Atlanta. Uh, you know, Arthur Blank, he gave $50 million for the uh, new U.S. soccer training center down there in Atlanta. So there's all sorts of layers and sensibilities when it comes to thinking of something like this. But this is where it's going to get interesting because for those that don't know, and I want to get too into the weeds for those out there, but you know what? This is, this is a podcast about soccer. And so you're here kind of to get a little bit into the weeds. So the USSF, United States Soccer Federation, professional league standards, they are requirements um, that are put on any team that wants a division sanction. You get the division sanction from the federation, in this case, the United States Soccer Federation. It could be division one, division two, division three. And there's a list of requirements or in order to qualify for that sanctioning for outdoor pro soccer leagues. And this is the clause that's going to be argued about re-MLS, the Division I teams, because we'll get to the Division Three teams, not participating in the U.S. Open Cup. And it says, U.S.-based teams must participate in all representative U.S. soccer and CONCACAF competitions for which they are eligible. Well, this is a U.S. soccer competition, and they are certainly eligible given the past. Now, MLS has also said that they are going to participate in the form of their MLS Next Pro teams. Now, that is a sanctioned third division that is basically the Reserve League. And I think this is also an admission by MLS that— the decoupling from USL a number of years back has not gone the way that they want in terms of creating the environments for these players to develop. So they look at the value to them, MLS, the value to them of US Open Cup is for their reserve league, basically, to play in it. Now, it'll be interesting to see if this continues on. And I've talked to a bunch of people over the last couple of days. They believe U.S. Open Cup is going to continue on with or without Major League Soccer in terms of Division One. And if, it's, if that's the case, as I said, USL has a much clearer and easier path to being U.S. Open Cup chance, which gives them CCC uh, qualification. But you have MLS Next Pro being involved too. And God forbid they were to lose to an MLS Next Pro team along the way. Mossy, anything else on this? Well, old habits die hard. I think I said CCL uh, yeah. a moment ago. Uh, but uh, yeah, I guess it's now CCC. Okay. Yeah, I mean, last, last thing on this. Um, so you would agree with the basic premise that at times what's best for MLS's bottom line and what's best for the overall growth of soccer in this country might not be aligned. And this is arguably one of those instances. Yeah, absolutely. But that, that exists in all businesses. And, you know, that's why, I, again, I go back to this acquisition type of idea or dream that I have where everything is under the same umbrella and therefore we can, we can go faster and further than we have ever before because, look, I, I love competition, but I just look at MLS, again, if MLS is the big dog then like any business, you would be looking at others to bring into your organization to make you stronger. Again, with 2026 uh, coming barreling down the pike here in a, few, in a few years. And who knows? Maybe 
this is a situation like Save the Crew, Mossy. Maybe this is the light of the fuse that the Open Cup needed. Maybe it's not by design or who knows? Gosh, all, all you, you know, conspiracy theorists out there, who knows? Because we know what happened last time MLS pulled something, I guess, like this. And people went crazy. So much so that they ultimately saved the crew. And now we've just seen what the crew has happened. Who knows? Maybe this is what people needed to wake up to what the potential is for U.S. Open Cup and how much they either like it or didn't know they liked it or now find out what it is and therefore like it going forward. And there is this collective communal type of reaction that makes U.S. Open Cup relevant. Because let's be honest, Mossy. It has not been relevant. As, as, as much as it may live in my heart and so many other people's hearts, we can look at it from romantic, uh, no, uh, well, you know, with romantic eyeglasses on. The reality is if the U.S. Open Cup went away, there's not enough people that care about it that would make it matter. But who knows? Maybe this is the catalyst that changes all of those things. Anything else on this, Moss? It's going to continue to be a story. We'll continue to see it play out. And like I said, there's all sorts of palace intrigue and dynamics and, uh, you know, all, you know, all those different things that happen when you have some heavy hitters and, you know, what this is or what this is possibly going to be going forward. But there's a lot of people out there um, that look at this and say, this was, this was not right. By Major League Soccer. Well, I say there's a lot of people. There are people out there, certainly, that are looking at this and saying this was not right by U.S. soccer. And there is a case to be made, Mossy. I can I can put myself in other people's shoes and I can put myself in that side and make that case. But as it stands right now, and I and I know, listen, I know you tune into the State of the Union podcast to kind of get a, a top level type of assessment of what's going on. But you know, this is part of, like I said, our history and of our tradition. And I get it, history and tradition changes and moves on and evolves and adapts and adjusts going forward. But this is still part of U.S. soccer. And so it's, I think it's fun talking about it and thinking about it because it brings up so many other things um, relevant to the American soccer fan and what he or she is and how they think of themselves in the greater world of soccer out there and how they think of their past and how they think about going forward and all of these different things. So I thought it was, uh, I thought it was interesting, but shall we move on? Yeah. The other interesting piece of news the last couple of days is FIFA revealed the dates and further details for the first edition of the expanded club world cup, which will take place in the United States in 2025. We now know it will be from June 15th to July 13th uh, in the United States. It's a 32-team tournament, 12 from Europe, six from CONMEBOL, four each from CONCACAF, Africa, and Asia, one from Oceania, and then one from the host nation, which will be the United States. Uh, we know UEFA and FIFPRO, the players' organization, continue to express some unhappiness with the staging of this tournament, but it looks like it is going to happen. Nobody's actively trying to block this, so this is another major tournament we have coming our way in the United States. And this will be... I think this will really be interesting because, you know, and actually referencing back to what we just talked about, the the credibility that fans have for their teams and for their leagues are in in many ways predicated on how they see them or how they perceive seeing them in international competition. And we all know that when it comes to Major League Soccer or any other league out there, uh, they are dying for eyes, but they are dying for credibility. And so I think because of this expansion of what this is, there's a real opportunity for a lot of these teams to open up eyes and I guess win hearts and minds out out there. And this is the most direct, and the data tells you this, this is the most direct form of getting credibility with a fan base out there. And so, you know, from an MLS perspective, the more teams, the better. And obviously, the better they do, the more credibility that they have. But, you know, we now, MLS isn't the only league out there that is searching for credibility. And so having this tournament, again, in the United States is going to be wonderful. As we said in the pod uh, last week, summer after summer 
of soccer. Right now, Mossy, correct me if I'm wrong, we do not know who is actually going to televise this tournament in, uh, in the summer. We, from a Fox perspective, I, I'm sure we would love to do that, but that's a uh, much higher pay grade in terms of the decisions that, uh, that are made. But to, regardless of we're televising it or not, it's going to be fun. I cannot wait uh, as to the stories that are going to be there, the players that are going to be there. And international soccer, Mossy, I know we talk about this a lot, it's a it's a very different dynamic, and sometimes it's difficult to replicate from an individual perspective what you are doing with your club, with your national team. Uh, and so this is an opportunity to see players in, I guess, their most comfortable setting uh, for some of these big teams actually go into a World Cup-style type of tournament from all over the world, not just from a region, not just from a confederation. Uh, can I raise one issue with this tournament? Sure. I find it interesting that it is 32 teams and not 48. So apparently when FIFA created a tournament from scratch, uh, they make it 32 teams, eight groups of four, which is an acknowledgement that that is the best format for a global tournament. But because Johnny Infantino inherited that format with the National Team World Cup and he has to put a stamp on everything, for that he felt the need to fiddle with it and expand it to 48. Well, I think that having 32 teams obviously works the best. Um, but you can't go to 64. You can't go from 32 to 64. So there has to be an intermediate type of process. Even for FIFA, even for Johnny Infantino, that's a bridge too far, all right? I mean, he might, and don't, don't get me wrong. He might have thought about it. Yeah. <laughs> but he said, um, all right, we'll take, we'll take a, a, an in-between here. Incidentally, the uh, current edition of the Club World Cup is at the semifinal stage. As soon as I'm done taping with you, I'm going to go watch uh, Fluminense. We'll face Egyptian side Al-Ali in the first semifinal. And then in the second semifinal, Manchester City will face the Urawa Red Diamonds of Japan. Then the winners meet in the final this upcoming weekend. Uh, and Manchester City's Premier League struggles of late is one of the topics we're going to talk about in our next segment. So did you say this already? So how many MLS teams potentially could be there at the, at the uh, Club World Cup? So, uh, well, for this edition specifically? Yeah. Well, I mean, for the, yeah. for the big one in 25, excuse me. No, I, I mean, but because this 2025 one is being held in the United States, the host nation gets an extra spot. That won't be the case, presumably, in further editions of this tournament. But so uh, for this edition, uh, it's actually going to be five CONCACAF teams, okay. and we know three of them, Monterrey, Seattle, and Leon, uh, by virtue of winning CCL, so I guess we still have a couple more to find out, and one of them will be uh, an American side for sure. All right, all right. Well, we'll see how that uh, all shapes out going forward. All right, anything else, Mossy? That's it. All right, let's take a quick break. When we come back, ooh, there's a busy weekend in uh, Europe, so don't go anywhere. Okay, welcome back. Uh, let's take a little recap from a Pretty busy weekend over there in Europe, Mossy, huh? Yeah, we begin in the Premier League. The big one was Liverpool hosting Manchester United. It finished nil-nil at Enfield. And based on your comments on X, it sounds like you were not riveted <laughs> by this match. Yeah, as I said, uh, this Liverpool-Manchester Liverpool United game really tested the, uh, the thesis out there of even a crap game is better than no game at all. Uh, because that was a crap game. And um, I suppose from a you know, from a pragmatic perspective, you have to tip your hat to Ten Hag and to Manchester United because they went in with one and only intention, and that was to absorb as much, much pressure and to kill as much of the game as they possibly could and hopefully come out with a point, which is exactly ultimately what happened. Now, sometimes those games can be really, really interesting. This, for me, was not one of those games. Yeah, this is what we've come to with Manchester United. Ten Hag is supposedly this progressive, romantic coach, but all he could think to do here was park the bus. They got outshot 34-6, to but they get out of there with a nil-no draw and seemed very content with that point at the end. They will. And, and while I'm sure that Klopp was irritated after the game because you have that much possession, you have that, those, you know, those opportunities and you know, lacking the, you know, the finishing touch and the ruthlessness to be able to do that, it's it's not the worst thing in the world. And again, because there's been so much drama and so much crap going on with other teams, Liverpool is just kind of waited in the wings and now find themselves sitting pretty, even with this result. 
sitting sitting pretty. So I don't think this is the worst thing in the world for uh, for Liverpool by any stretch of the imagination. As a matter of fact, uh, I think that they're going to turn this corner at the new year, saying, "Hey, this is a new version of this Liverpool team." That okay, maybe it doesn't live up completely to what we've seen in the past in the past years, but to Klopp's credit. He's made them something anew that is successful and, notwithstanding this, this particular game, something that you want to watch. And we should note, Keith Costigan was at this match, so I took some pleasure in it being a dull <laughs> affair. Uh, Liverpool did get overtaken by Arsenal in the standings this weekend. Arsenal beat Brighton 2-0 on second-half goals by Gabriel Jesus and Kai Havertz, who, after a slow start, has really come on for the Gunners. Uh, and next weekend... Liverpool host Arsenal, so that'll be a great game to look forward to. Manchester City are in fourth right now, five points back of Arsenal. Their Premier League struggles continue this weekend. They squandered a two-goal lead at home against Crystal Palace, settled for a 2-2 draw. Olise got the equalizer and stoppage time from the penalty spot. Manchester City just one win in their last six Premier League games. Yeah, I mean, so are we seeing, you know, just an inevitable... Um, regression uh, from this great team or this is is this really a problem you know I I, I always you know joke about uh, Janet Jackson what have you done for me lately well nobody's going to get a longer leash than Pep but this is not the way that they planned it and this is not what we expect from from this team you know but Nobody's going to cry for Pep. Nobody's going to cry for Man City. And you have created these expectations. I mean, it's, you know, it's kind of like Megan Rapinoe when she was in the, in the documentary, back to the documentary we mentioned at the top of the show, when she was saying that playing for the United States women's national team is you know, the worst job in the world. Because if you win, you're expected to. And if you don't win, you get crushed. Well, you know, welcome to the elite. And that's what Manchester City is. And so... I think that they are going to, I don't think they're going to get crushed, but this is not what we have expected from, uh, from Man City. Yeah, they've won three in a row, five of the last six. They've created an almost Bayern Munich-like uh, feeling of inevitability. But this season, I'm starting to seriously consider that they might not win the Premier League, particularly because it's Liverpool that's one of the teams above them. I really respect Liverpool and feel like they won't collapse in a title race against City the way Arsenal did last season. Um, and yeah, on City, I know it's weird to say this after a game in which they had 75% possession, but with De Bruyne injured, Stones banged up this season, Gundogan gone, he went to Barcelona. It does feel like they don't have the same level of control over matches as they did in the past. They have some players there that are more vertical, like Foden and Doku and different characteristics. So they're not controlling games to quite the same degree as they did in the past. And it, it burned them here against Palace, who, by the way, I don't want to bury the lead from an American standpoint. Chris Richards started this match again in the midfield. And acquitted himself well. That is something that Greg Berhalter is going to have to really think about uh, in the next window. And and that will be really interesting because he's playing, playing consistently, and as you mentioned, playing well in a position that you know when they put up their chart. Okay, maybe they say he can play there in a pinch, right? That's the the phrase that everybody uses. But this is not in a pinch. Now this is possibly a position where he could be really good. And we've mentioned before with the, the uh, midfield of the U.S. men's national team in flux, who knows? Maybe this is something that they could look to. But again, this is, this is so difficult because as a national team, you only have a few days with the team. And so everything, most of the stuff that you do is on paper. And so if you bring in Chris Richards, you almost have to plan ahead of time and say, hey, listen, I'm bringing you in now in this camp as this position. And you have to plan your training sessions, and obviously your game plan for him to test it out. Because otherwise, it's just theoretical from the outside. Hey, he's playing really well out here. And again, as we said, form is fallacy. uh, Or as I've said, form is fallacy. So it doesn't always translate. But I do think that it's, it's worth the test. And it's worth the time, that valuable time, to use it to possibly see, hey, is this where ultimately he makes the most sense for the national team going forward? Uh, in Italy, Inter continued to roll 2 0 away to Lazio, Lautaro Martinez and Marcus Turan with the goals. They're now four points clear of Juventus, who were held to a draw by Genoa. But uh, some good news there on the American front. Uh, Timmy Weah came on his first appearance since late October. Great to have Timmy Weah back in our lives. 
I've said, you know, for me, Timmy Weah was the most consistent and therefore, I think, the best, and it's debatable, I get it, um, player for the U.S. men's national team out there on that right-hand side. And so when he's healthy, that is great for club or or for country right now. And so we need him out there. We need him playing. And, uh, you know, again, to your point, Mossy, where he ultimately shows up, that, that's going to be interesting. But I don't think that there is anybody yet that I have seen that is better for the U.S. men's national team on that right-hand side than Tim Weah. Uh, going off for a rundown again here, AC Milan 3-0 win over Monza. Christian Pulisic with an assist. That's now four straight games with either a goal or an assist. First time he's ever done that in his career. Yeah, he also had, you know, he could have had a goal, maybe a couple. He had a wonderful left-footed uh, shot off the crossbar there. So that's that's good news for him. That's good news for Milan. I, I did an interview uh, a couple days ago with uh, some Italian press. And, you know, they're really, really interested in this phenomenon I guess it's a phenomenon of American players over there and not just playing, but playing well and playing for big teams uh, over there. And it's, it's, it's gratifying, actually, because the curiosity that used to kind of tinge all of the interviews that I did and the, uh, the way that, you know, these, these, um, you know, this media approached an American player, I didn't get any of that. Uh, I think they were genuinely happy, but it wasn't rooted in like, like I said, a surprise that this is that this is happening. And so they're they're not just doing well for themselves, but I think they're doing well for American soccer. And that's you know, look, this is a battle. This is a battle to change those attitudes. This is a battle for hearts and minds out there. And I think from an American soccer perspective, these guys are doing great things for the American soccer image and for American soccer players going forward. Now, neither Juventus or AC Milan was in this rundown. If you're wondering why, it's because Sean Sullivan was focused on a different Serie A game this past <laughs> weekend. Bologna with a 2-0 home win over Roma. So they are now in fourth place. What a story, yeah? La Dota, La Grasa, La Rosa. I mean, look, it, it, so producer Sean wants to take full credit for this. And it has to be said that his affiliation with this team coincides with this incredible run that they are having so in the good times it's his responsibility and he gets all the credit let's see what happens in the bad times next up for Bologna they face Inter Milan in the Copa Italia although Inter of announcer are going to field their reserve side oh really I'm kidding oh yeah I know you're kidding <laughs> all right where should we go over to Germany uh we go to Germany next uh Bayern Munich 3-0 home win over Stuttgart Harry Kane with two goals He's already up to 20 Bundesliga goals this season. And it's great, but you know that's that's what you should do if you're Harry Kane and you're playing in the Bundesliga for Bayern Munich. So I I I don't want to, you know, be overly effusive of a great goal scorer going to Bayern Munich and doing what great goal scorers have done now for decades, which is score a lot a uh, score a lot of goals. So congratulations. What is interesting is that he's the top scorer in Germany. Jude Bellingham right now is the top scorer in La Liga. So you could have two English players uh, top two different European leagues in scoring that aren't the Premier League. Well, <laughs> obviously, he heard us talking about the promotions that we're doing over here at Fox when it comes to next summer's uh, Euros. And he said, not so fast with that Bellingham love over there. I'm not uh, done no. yet. So, you know, you only, get, you only get to promote one person graphically up there on the screen when it comes to each, each of these teams. So they're vying for that England spot, that coveted England spot of being on the uh, Fox soccer graphic. Uh, Bayern's still four points back of Leverkusen, who hammered Frankfurt 3-0. Augsburg, Dortmund 1-1. Gio came on soon, uh, earlier than usual, 58th minute. So he got more than a half hour and almost scored the winner late. All right, great. I mean, I don't think anything's changed. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but yeah, that's that, that's good. I, you know, again, I don't think that they look at him as a bad player. I just don't think that they see him as part of their future. So, you know, the sooner this next window comes, or I guess next summer, you know, depending, who knows, the better it is for Gio. Uh, staying with the American theme, we go to the Netherlands, PSV. 4-0 away win over Azed Alkmaar. Uh, both Tillman and Des started, and they combined on a goal. Tillman with the assist, Des with the finish. 
Pepe came on as a sub. 16 wins in 16 games for PSV in the Eredivisie. They also qualified to the round of 16 of the Champions League. And remember, the architect of all this is Ernie Stewart. So this is quite the Yanks abroad story. Yeah, that Ernie Stewart, he knows what he's doing, huh? <laughs> oh, I love Ernie. I love him. But congratulations to Ernie and congratulations to this team. Um, Tillman's another one, you know, interesting in terms of how well he is playing and ultimately how that is going to or not translate into uh, the national team here. Serginho Dest flying up and down a wing, whether it's the left or the right-hand side, is always fun to watch. He actually took this goal really, really well uh, and finished it off here. And it was just pure speed of him recognize the moment, getting the ball out of his feet and finishing really nicely, like I said, with that uh, left foot. So again, more positive American player news out there. We go to France, an American we haven't spoken about at all, Emmanuel Sabi. He got two goals in Leav's 3-1 win over Nice. Leav being a club that Bob Bradley managed a few years back. Although some negative news in France. Uh, Monaco lost uh, 1-0 to Lyon. Another rough performance for Balogun. I actually read a L'Equipe article critiquing uh, his recent form and wondering why he's still starting over Ben Yedder. Uh, just one goal in his last 10 games for club and country. Somewhere, Doug McIntyre is nodding right now. <laughs> hey, did you see the uh, Sabi goals? Oh, yeah, beautiful. Yeah, they are beautiful. So, <clears throat> so have we... So, he, he has played for us how many times? Once? Is one senior cap. Okay. Listen, uh, you know, this might be another, we talked in the last pod about players kind of coming up that aren't getting a lot of attention, that aren't getting a lot of people talking about them. This could be one of them, Uh, you know, and again, you keep scoring goals, you're going to bring plenty of attention. And if you haven't seen the goals, they're pretty nice. So if this ends up being in 2024, again, somebody else pushing, somebody else demanding that we pay attention. And again, back to a national team perspective for uh, for pushing when it comes to pushing, you know, like I said, whether it's Balogun or Pepe or even on the outside, Pulisic, and I just mentioned Weah. Uh, again, nobody is safe and nobody should be safe. Took this one well. All right, anything else, Mossy? And then last thing in this segment, the UCL round of 16 draw took place today. Honestly, nothing too exciting as far as the matchups, but two teams we just talked about in this segment, PSV and Dortmund will square off. If Gio is still at Dortmund, uh, then this matchup could be an American orgy. So with the way that PSV is playing, who do you got PSV Dortmund? Because I'm, I'm inclined to go PSV. I agree. I think I would really? be PSV. Yeah. Right. Um, Porto Arsenal. I'm going Arsenal. Arsenal. Napoli Barcelona. Uh, That's a tricky one. Oof. Barcelona not playing well. Now, listen, a lot can change between now and February in terms of injuries, form, January signings. So yeah. we reserve the right to change these predictions. Yeah, this yeah. is if these teams were to meet now. Uh, yeah, I might be inclined to take Napoli in that matchup if it was right now. All right, I'll stay with Barca then, and then we'll change it up when <laughs> when all hell breaks loose in the January transfer. Uh, PSG, Sociedad, I'm going PSG. Yeah, and let me say, PSG was the big winner in the draw today because they finished second in their group, which could have really spelled trouble, but they ended up getting the weakest group winner. So they got a matchup where they're actually going to be favored in. So, yeah, I like PSG to go through. All right, Inter uh, Atletico Madrid. This is, to me, the most balanced uh, matchup of this whole round. It's 50-50. I will go Atletico Madrid. I'm going to go them, too. Yep. It is, but it is. That's hard. Uh, Lazio Bayern Munich. Uh, Bayern Munich, of course. Okay. Copenhagen uh, Man City. Man City. Man City. All right. And then Leipzig, Real Madrid, Real Madrid, right? Correct. All right. So the Inter-Atletico Madrid one and the Napoli-Barcelona one, those are the really the ones I think that are going to be, well, who knows where the interest comes from, but that's going to be fun to watch. Anything else, Mossy? That's it. All right. Let's take another quick break. When we come uh, back, it's time for Ask Alexi. Don't go anywhere. All right, welcome back. It's time for Ask Alexi, that part of the show where you send in your comments, questions, and concerns. And you can do it in multiple ways, including with our uh, State of the Union podcast hotline, which is 657-549-2297, 657-549-2297. Or you can use all those social media platforms out there. And keep in mind that our handle is SOTU with Alexi. Now, uh, let, let me just tell you this. We, we love that people use the hotline. We love that people 
call in. We love the interaction and the participation that you have, uh, regardless of how you do it. But when it comes to the actual State of the Union podcast hotline, uh, producer Sean has asked me to pass this along because the poor guy, he has to edit some of these things. Uh, Don't bore us. Get to the chorus, okay? Um, Keep them as efficient in terms of word usage as possible. We've had some like three minute and four minute long calls and we just, we can't, we can't do that. So whatever it is you want to say, it's fine. Again, you don't have to agree with us and you can be screaming, yell at me, but just do it in a reasonable amount of time because uh, it makes it much better for the show. And let's be honest, it makes it much more likely that you are going to get uh, on the show. And to that end, I, I think we have, uh, some regular, I guess, would be traditional types of interactions here when it comes to uh, our social media platforms out there. Right, Mossy? Correct. First up, a question on X at rchurch44 asks, who was on your soccer Hall of Fame ballot? Seems like a good pod segment. Uh, what he's alluding to is earlier this month, the uh, U.S. Soccer Hall of Fame, they announced the four-member class for 2024, which includes Tim Howard. You are a proud member of the National Soccer Hall of Fame, so you get a vote. Uh, so who did you go with? So I don't have it. Uh, you know, I sent it in. So I don't have, first off, I have no problem with any of uh, these four. Uh, I think they are all worthy. Uh, I'm pretty sure I voted for all of them. Um, I know I voted for Tim Howard. Uh, congratulations. I mean, I think that's a, that's a no-brainer given what he has been and done when it comes to, uh, to U.S. soccer. Uh, certainly worthy. Uh, Josh McKinney, another one, incredible in terms of uh, what he has done for our national team, our seven-a-side para, uh, Paralympic team. Um, and he is a legend within uh, within soccer and certainly worthy. Uh, let's see, Tisha Venturini, Hawk, uh, another one a, a, um, in, the, in the veterans ballot. And the veterans ballot's always, always interesting as some of these men and women have been around and it gets to the end and there's nostalgia involved. But I think she is earning whether she's a veteran on the veterans ballot or not. And then Francisco Marcos, you know, we've talked a lot on this pod, uh, Mossy, already about stuff that is not even necessarily on the field, which is a lot of the business behind soccer. And we as people that have kicked the ball, we get a tremendous amount of attention and I guess praise. But the reality is that there are incredible men and women out there that never necessarily kicked the ball to the extent and to the levels that uh, many of us have that are as important, if not more important. And so him getting the uh, Builders National Soccer Hall of Fame Award, uh, I think is completely apt and appropriate as you know one of these founders and builders of uh, in lower division soccer in the United States for years and years and years. And while I may scream and yell about the soccer wars out there, and, you know, the, the competition and therefore the fighting that, that sometimes ensue. Um, these are people that have kept the game alive and have done the things to create the infrastructure that has enabled me and multiple generations to ply our trade and to make a living in the game. So I'm real, I'm fine with, uh, with these. I will go through, you know, there were so many other people out there that uh, didn't necessarily get in, including, and they, they will have a chance going forward with many of these people, including people like Nick Romando and Dwayne De Rosario, Gucci Onyewu, um, Jermaine Jones, Chris Ahrens, um, the list goes on and on and on and on and on. And, you know, I know at times it's a, it's a popularity contest um, and there are certainly people that are worthy and many people probably along the way that are much worthier than myself or others that are in that uh, either have yet to get in or have not gotten or, or will not get in. But, you know, this is the way the, a Hall of Fame works. But it doesn't make you any better, but it's certainly a nice bit of um, tribute and certainly an honor when ultimately that call happens. So congratulations to all four of these people. Uh, U.S. Soccer also announced the nominees for Player of the Year, Men's and Women's. For uh, U.S. Men's Player of the Year, the nominees are Christian Pulisic, uh, Ricardo Pepe, Polarin Balogun, Yunus Musa, and Matt Turner. Uh, Sean Sullivan, incidentally, uh, thinks Pulisic should win. 
who were the men again? Because I'm I'm definitely with him when it comes to Naomi Gurma. I that's who I voted for, and that's who I believe should win. Uh, for men, it's Pulisic, Pepe, Balogun, Turner, and Musa. Mm, interesting. Yeah, I think it's I think it's Pulisic. I think he's I think he's right, and I think that's ultimately who I voted for in that uh, in that moment. But I, I I know I went back and forth between Musa and Pulisic. And I look, Pepe has got a shout given what he has done this year. And, you know, sometimes people forget, although they'll remind you if you do forget that, you know, he was that last cut and wasn't involved with the uh, national team in the, uh, in the world cup, but he's got a case out there, but I think ultimately it's going to go to Christian Pulisic as it should. I think. And just to say the nominees for the women, uh, Germa, Sophia Smith, Emily Fox, Crystal Dunn and Lindsay Horan. I agree with you. Gurma gets my vote. The tiebreaker is she was a guest on the State of the Union. Pod. Great. There you go. I mean, so if you want it, you know, come on the show. What else, Mossy? Uh, next question is uh, Daniel Koner on Apple Podcasts. Yes. Uh, why should I become a fan of a certain player in MLS if ultimately that player will be gone in a year or two? Example, Almada with Atlanta United. But why does MLS and clubs not try and retain these players instead of shipping them off to Europe? Uh, that what he's reacting to there is Thiago Matic came out uh, recently and said he absolutely wants to leave MLS during this window and go to Europe. This is this is such a good question uh, because it it gets to the root of what fandom is. Uh, I guess what MLS fandom is more importantly, because you're you're absolutely right in that MLS players whether they're domestic or whether they're international, for the most part, are looking at MLS as a stepping stone, are looking at MLS as a platform from which to show their wares until something hopefully comes along that is bigger and better. That's just the reality of what MLS is in 2023. And look, don't get me wrong, the incredible growth over the last almost 30 years of MLS is something that uh, should be celebrated, but it's still not at the level yet in terms of the credibility and in terms of the perception out there that leagues around the world are, and in particular, and mostly, let's be honest, leagues in, in Europe. So why should you, Daniel, care about a player if that player is going to move on? Well, first off, um, the world of sports, all right, is not as it was 20, 30, 40 years ago. So the movement of player should not shake you to your core, whether you're an adult or whether you're, you're a kid. This happens in sports, and it happens regularly in sports, even at the highest levels of sport. And we were just talking about Kane, so it happens obviously in soccer, and certainly it happens in other, in other sports. The amount of players that are one-team players are minuscule. So a player moving on should not be, um, should not wreck your world, okay? Uh, this player, and, you know, you mentioned um, uh, Almada. Well, when you look at uh, Almiron, okay, what you hope that happens is that player goes on and is a messenger for your team that I'm assuming you love. And by extension, your market, your community, your city, and I guess your country and your league. And, you know, uh, Almarone, every single time he steps on the field, there is that MLS connection. And I hope you take some sort of pride in that, in that connection. I would love nothing more, Daniel, than for that to change around where players, they're not looking for better things. They're not looking for greener pastures. They're saying, this is where I want to play, and this is where I want to play forever. But we're not, we're not at that point going forward. But, I, but again, I don't think that that should be necessary for you to give of your time, um, and I guess of your heart, and certainly of your wallet and pocket book out there, to a team, simply because these players will be moving, will be moving on. So. I mean, I get it, and that is something that MLS needs to not fix, but aspire to change, where those aspirations for those players 
are to play in MLS, whether they're growing up and that's playing for their home team is all they ultimately want to do, or they're coming from the outside and recognize, you know what, this is my destination. I might have used a different platform in order to get that move that, that, that fulfills a dream, and that's coming to MLS. We're a long way, we're a long way off, but um, yeah, your players will be, if they're really, really good, chances are, unless they're built differently, you know, and I guess Diego Valeri or others out there, they're going to be gone. But that, you know, that's part of sports, I guess, is my ultimate answer. Mossy? Uh, Tiago Almada, a World Cup winner with Argentina last year, which is a triumph you're going to revisit next. How's that for a tease? Good tease, my friend. All right. We'll take a break and I'll come back and I'll pay off that tease. Don't go anywhere with my uh, one for the road. Gonzalo Montiel can win the World Cup for Argentina with this kick. Yes! Oh, there it is, Mossy. I cannot believe it's been one year since the World Cup final, since Argentina raised the World Cup trophy there in uh, Doha, Qatar. Uh, So this is my one for the road here. And as I said, it's gone very quickly. All sorts of interesting stuff has happened in 2023. Obviously, hell, we did a a whole nother World Cup in in this year uh, over there in Australia and New Zealand. And, you know, we've, we've talked about this before, but that World Cup, was, and I think going forward is going to be looked at even more so, so incredibly unique in obviously where it was held and the proximity of all of these stadiums, um, the ability to get to multiple games. I've told this story, but I'll, and I'll tell it again. I cannot tell you the amount of times that people would come up to us on that incredible set that we had down there in Doha, Qatar. And I would ask them, you know, how many games did you go to? And in the past, at previous World Cups, it would be two, three, four, five, you know, maybe six or seven if you're lucky and stuff like that. And I'm getting people coming up to me talking about, yeah, I went to 23 games and <laughs> just insane numbers. And so I think the, the best part about Qatar was that for the soccer junkie and purist, Um, who just cares about going to a World Cup to watch the game. I mean, this was a candy store. But it also provided one of these these moments where arguably the greatest player in the world is able to finally lift that trophy that he has been chasing for so long. And in doing so, shed all of that pressure and all of that comparison to the previous great that was Diego Maradona. And, you know, while, while at times, you know, I'll, I'll, I'll go back and forth about Messi and what he is or what he isn't to me personally and individually, it was incredible. It was incredible to see that unique and wild and strange World Cup at times, but ultimately special World Cup end with this this special moment. And, I mean, I can't imagine ultimately what he was feeling. Um, you know, we are, and I say this for you, Masi, I hope I can speak for you here, we are incredibly lucky that we get to tell these stories and when, that we get to travel and go to these incredible places, these exotic places. I was talking with my family the other day you know, my, my kids have been to, you know, a place like Russia, right? <laughs> because of the World Cup and because of you know, where it has enabled us to, uh, to visit. And let's be honest, I'm not sure any of us <laughs> are going back to Russia anytime soon. And to go to someplace uh, like Qatar. And look, I know... We can talk about Qatar and we can talk about good, bad, and all sorts of different things when it comes to them, but we can do that about any country and any culture and any 
type of society out there that the World Cup uh, happens in. And again, the uniqueness of it, because it's not going to happen again going forward, we're never going to have a World Cup happen in a space the size of Connecticut and in one city again. That's that ship has sailed going forward. So on this day, and we remember back to all of the incredible work and all the incredible women in front of the camera, behind the camera that I'm so proud to call colleagues out there and everything that we did there. But also we remember just what was a really special World Cup that culminated in a moment that I think soccer folks out there and generations now will look at as iconic in the same way that we look at, you know, Diego Maradona kissing that uh, World Cup in 86 in Mexico. And the list goes on and on and on. Mossy, anything in terms of your, your memories from a year ago? No, I mean, this anniversary allows me to reflect on how much I've grown in the last year. You know, it's been, uh, 2023 has been a big year for me. Did you, what do you mean you've grown? I'm just kidding. Well, you can't, no, come on. You can't do that. Let me. Uh, you, <laughs> in, in every bit of facetious, sarcastic, uh, you know, um, output that you have, my friend, there is an element of truth. So I'm sure, you know, as we get ready to go into this Christmas and New Year's and holiday moment, I'm sure you've grown. I think, I think I've grown. I mean, I can still be an asshole. Don't get me wrong. But I think I've grown. You can't point to anything that you that you've grown. I do think, all jokes aside, twenty twenty three has been a very good year for the podcast. Uh, I think That's we're true. really in a nice groove now. And uh, I, I I thought uh, the Sydney World Cup was the best one I've worked on from from a from a Fox standpoint. But we really were like a well oiled machine at that tournament. So it's amazing you do enough of these and you kind of you know the lay of the land. And so I was very happy with how that tournament went from a work standpoint. Hey, I, uh, amen, my friend. Uh, this thing has grown and grown. And, and look, you know, we get on here and we babble on about different stuff, but the men and women that have made this into something that I don't think either of us ever could have imagined years ago when we were sitting in the closet over there that this was going to become. And uh, we are so thankful and appreciative of all of the hard work that goes on each and every day. And then obviously each and every show that, uh, that we do. And I'm sitting over here in this incredible studio. It's all decked out. Like I said, for those that are just listening, it's all decked out with all the bells and whistles and whether it's the video that we show or the, uh, you know, the, the Christmas trees or any, or the lighting, uh, and the audio and the, uh, the cameras and all that kind of stuff. It is, it is full on, but you know what? This game deserves it. And I'm glad that we were able to do it. And I'm glad that there's so many other people out there that are doing it. There's lots of other podcasts, lots of other people out there that talk about the game, that love the game, that scream and yell about the game. Then that's okay. You know, because it is, uh, it is La Cosa Nostra. Warts and all. It is our thing. And um, I, I recognize that we're very protective of it. And I, I like that. I like that about American soccer. And I like that about American soccer people. We saw this and we discussed this earlier earlier this uh this pod about you know how we can become incredibly emotional and passionate and we should never apologize for that even if we agree or disagree on on things that emotion and passion is ultimately what drives this sport and what is going to drive this sport going forward and hopefully at the state of the union we'll be able to capture some of that and give you a weekly type of diet uh that comes from that passion that comes from that heart and i guess yes comes from that romantic notion of what soccer is in the United States and more importantly what it can be my friend enjoy the uh, the uh, Florida sun out there I will be back later on this week we will be back later on this week for one more pod before I head off to your neck of the woods over there in Florida so continue to review and to rate and to subscribe and to download and do all the different things that you do whether you're listening or whether you're watching the State of the Union podcast, we love you and we thank you for that. Until later on this week, size the day.